Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. So we are uh, this morning continuing on in our study of Genesis. We come uh, together today to Genesis chapter 4. Um, Genesis 4 uh, is, is the story uh, of what happens in life outside of the garden, what happens as uh, John Steinbeck has, has written in his book, East of Eden, Adam and Eve, at the end of Genesis 3, are, are called to leave the garden, to leave this place of paradise, this angel is, is stationed there at the east to keep them uh, from coming back to the tree of life. And now we come to the first family living in God's creation, but not in this place of paradise, not in Eden. And what we actually see, as, as I want us to be aware of as we uh, approach this text and we read through it together, uh, is we see some parallels to the story that we just looked at last week. Uh, we see in both stories uh, a prohibition or a warning from God that is broken. We see God asking this probing question to both Adam and to his son Cain, this probing question of where, where were you, what was going on. Uh, we see cursings coming from God. We see that the fruit of the tree in Genesis chapter 3 is Adam's downfall, while the fruit of the ground becomes Cain's downfall. We see that Adam and Eve are both worried about death. And here in Genesis chapter 4, we see that the experience of death is realized. So, so what we come to today is this life that is lived within a fallen creation. And, and as we looked at the parallels of this text, as we look at what's going on, we want to look at what, what God is showing us through this story of this first family here in creation uh, that has now fallen in sin. If you'll turn with me, uh, we're going to read Genesis uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought also the first of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive you from your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. 
The Lord said to him, Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who find him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When they built a city, he called the name of the city after his son Enoch. Enoch had, was born uh, to Enoch was born Erod, and to Erod was born Mahujala, and to Mahujala was uh, fathered uh, Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The name of the first one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zilhah. And uh, Ada bore Jabal, and um, he was the father of those who dwelt in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was uh, Jubal. He was the father of those who played the lyre and the pipe. Zilhah bore Tubal-Cain. He was a forger of instruments of bronze. His sister, the sister of Tubal-Cain, was uh, Nama. Lamech said to his wife Ada and Zilhah, hear the voice of, of uh, hear the voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's vengeance is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was born, uh, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask as we come to your presence today, as, as we look at your word, the, the uh, dreadful realities of our sin, the fallenness of creation, and yet your promise to us. God, that we would know that we would be renewed, that we would be refreshed by your blessing and by your grace this day. Would you speak to us through your word? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, uh, Beck and I, uh, we, as, as probably many of you guys in the room, we, we like to uh, watch, binge watch as much as we're able to uh, shows uh, when the kids go to bed. You know, so 8, 8.30 at night, we shoo all the kids off to bed. Uh, we go downstairs and, and, you know, find something on TV to watch. Well, this spring, uh, there was this great show came out on Apple TV. I don't know if any of you guys saw it, The Shrink Next Door, Will Ferrell, um, Paul Rudd, but it's a story, true story, uh, about a guy, his name is Marty, who owned a curtain business in New York. He, he was um, in, in New York City in the Broadway area. They did uh, stage scenes and, and curtains for uh, Broadway shows. Uh, and so he owned this business. He's, he's kind of, uh, you know, upper class on, on the Upper West Side of, of Manhattan, uh, has this business, went to Columbia, but he's in his 40s. And he's kind of dealing with this depression. And so his sister comes to him and says, you got to go to this renowned psychologist in the city, Dr. Hirschkopf, Dr. H, as Will Ferrell calls him in the show. You've got to go see the psychologist and get some help. So he goes to him. And what the story then becomes is how through this help that's provided by Paul Rudd, who plays Dr. H, how he begins to take over every aspect of Marty's life. First, he starts by taking over his business through this, you know, counseling relationship that's been set up. And then he consumes his house in the Hamptons and, and isolates him from his family. And by the end of the series, Marty is a guy who is isolated, who, who by this relationship with this guy, Dr. H, uh, is now separated from his family, separated from his business, separated from everything that's in his life. And, and we see a similar thing going on here as, as we come to Genesis chapter 4. We see the effects of sin in the world, and we see 
that as Marty and, and Dr. H, Dr. Hirschkopf's relationship, that, that it's the effects of sin to us are all-consuming. That, that what sin does in us, although it, it comes to us and it appears very benign, that for, for us we believe that we can you know, just tell that one lie, that we can cheat on our expense reports or on our government documents, that we can, you know, just look at that image one more time, that we can have just that one more drink, that we can, you know, just let the lid off of our anger just a little bit. And it's not going to consume us, it's not going to affect us, it's not going to be a problem for us. And, and what Genesis 4 says is no, sin has an all-consuming effect in our lives. That here, this first family, here this Adam and Eve have these two sons. They just came out of God's place in paradise. They're now living east of Eden and already we see that anger turns into violence that turns into murder. We see that the effects of sin are all-consuming, and, and that sin, as it comes into our lives and it comes into this, this world, it wants to take more and more from us. It wants to distract us. It wants to turn us away from that image that God created us to live in, that image that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, this image of perfection, this image of being created for the good, for God's glory. And sin says, no, there's, there's another agenda that I have, and it begins to consume all areas of our lives. What we want to see today is, is that because sin is all-consuming, that we all need God's grace, that we need the grace that God alone offers to save us from this effect of sin. That's what Genesis 4 is really about. Genesis 4 is about that we all need the grace that God alone offers to save us from the all-consuming effects of sin. And we want to see that to get today together in three ways. We want to see that uh, God's grace confronts the personal aspects of our sin. We want to see that God's grace breaks the cycle of our sin. And we want to see that God's uh, grace redeems us from the curse of sin. So we want to see that God's grace confronts the personal aspects of sin, breaks the cycle of sin, and redeems us from the curse of sin. So let's look at those three things together this morning. First, we see as the passage begins in verses 1 through 16, uh, God's grace confronting the personal aspects of our sin. This story opens up, uh, as we saw in the text, uh, there's these two brothers born to Adam and Eve. Their names are Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain is a farmer. He's a worker of the ground. Abel is a shepherd. Uh, you know, I, I won't bore you with all the details, but there is kind of this, you know, dispute among theologians among commenters who are trying to understand, okay, what's going on here with these two brothers, with their sacrifice, with their lifestyle? Uh, you know, suffice it to say, they, they, they take two different vocations in life. One being connected to the land, a farmer, one being kind of a more nomadic lifestyle. And two, offering different sacrifices before God, which really becomes the conflict of verses 1 through 16. That there are these two different sacrifices that are offered. And as we see in verses 3 through 5, God receives one sacrifice, but the other he has no regard for. God receives the, the sacrifice of Abel, but for Cain, he says, I don't have any regard for the sacrifice that you offer. And, and, and what we, what's going on here, we really have to, because th this, this account is, is so brief, it's so terse, that we really have to kind of peel back the layers and theologize a little bit to say, okay, why is it that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. It says just simply in verses uh, 3 through 5, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought, uh, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought 
of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Canaan and his offering, he had no regard. So it just simply says, Cain brought uh, the fruits of the ground. Abel brought the best portions. He brought the fat portions of, 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 of his flocks. And the Lord had regard for Abel's sacrifice. He had no regard for Cain's. But what's going on here between these two sacrifices? What we have to understand is in the Old Testament system, both are legitimate sacrifices. God makes a provision for Israel later on. He says, look, you can bring a grain offering to me. You can bring an animal sacrifice to me. Both offerings are legitimate for the people of Israel. So it's not that one was a blood sacrifice, one was not. God says, I don't care if you offer me something that's not blood sacrifice. What's going on here is the heart condition of those who offer. If you go to the New Testament, 1 John 3, verse 12, he says, look, don't be like Cain, because he was always in sin, and there was always this anger in his heart. And his relationship with God was always marked by this reality of sin. He had no regard for God. That in the sacrifices they offer, it's showing how they really worship this God. That Abel offers out of love, and Cain just says, you know, this is a duty I'm going to do. This is something I'm going to perform before God, but not something I care about, nor am I giving my life to. Now, again, it's, it's you know, very quick here in the text. Not much detail is given, but what we do know is that this sacrifice causes this division between these two brothers. So Cain calls out his brother Abel. He says, come, you know, come out into this field, and he murders him there. But what we even have to notice at this point is that God comes to Cain, whose sacrifice he did not accept, and that place of brokenness and that place of anger and that place of frustration that he's feeling, and God offers him his grace. He says, Cain, this sin is crouching at your door, and it wants to overtake you, but you can overcome this. That God offers Cain even that olive branch in that place. But Cain denies the word of God. He brings his brother out into this field, and he murders him. And, and what Moses wants us to see, what the writer of Genesis, Moses wants us to see here, and what we need to know, is that the effects of sin are personal to us. And the effects of sin, as we said in the introduction, are all-consuming for us, and that this anger that was in Cain's heart turns into murder and violence as he works it out in his life. Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he says, look, if you're angry, you've already committed this act of murder. He, he levels the playing field for us and says, look, here's the reality. We're all kind of wondering this in our lives. Where do these violent acts come from that we can see on our TV at night? Where do these things come from in our culture? You know, as, as we go to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers, that we're all asking the same question. You know, why is it that, you know, there's a war in the Ukraine? Why is it that there's murder still on my TV? Why is there devastation in the world around us? And God says, well, that comes from a broken world and a broken place in each of our lives. That anger that's in our hearts is worked out by violence in our world. Now, but we all see the effect in different ways. We know the experience of anger, I hope. I mean, maybe I'm the only one here. Uh, but we, we, you know, we can know that, that you know, we ourselves... Sometimes, again, we let, let the you know, anger turn into rage in our lives, which brings brokenness in our homes, dysfunctions in our family, and also toxicity in our workplace. 
that this reality of anger is not something that's just for those murderers, but it's something that we all experience and we all know. And and what God is saying to us here is he's saying, look, sin has an all-consuming effect in our lives. But we need the grace of God, even as he gives it to Cain, as he gives it to us in the law, and says, don't do this. Don't take this to the nth degree. Don't take this reality of your anger and turn it to an opportunity for violence. Don't let this anger turn into something that's more for you. He comes, God comes to us in his grace as he comes to Cain in his grace. And he says, look, here is God's perfection. Here is God's beauty. Here is God's standard. That anger is not consistent with this good world that he created. And yet we know when we experience it. And he gives us this opportunity to know his love and to know his grace. But we can all see uh, the effects of the fallenness of this anger as, as we look at ourselves, as we look at our lives, and look at the world. Another way uh, to say that is that this sin that we're all born into, the sin that we call in theological terms original sin, becomes actual sin in our lives. As, as we are all sinful, just like Cain, we begin to experience the effects of sin as we enter into this sin. But God says to us in his word and by his grace that, that there is another way. There is a better way. But as, as we continue on in the text, we see that this reality of sin that, that is played out in Cain's life also begins to be played out in the lives of his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. Because as you can uh, tell why Jimmy assigned this text to me, because he thought, first of all, he's going to be out of town and he's here. But because there's this, you know, great genealogy. So, you know, for future reference, every time genealogies come up, I'll be preaching here, right? (laughs) Yeah, because like, you know, that's what every preacher loves is to go through the list of, you know, when we get to numbers, it's like, you know, hey, Brian, you're on for like five weeks in a row. Okay. Um, So there's this genealogy list and we're all, you know, all of us are sitting here. We're like, yes, genealogies. Love it. Love what's going on. Genealogy. So, so it goes through this generation of, of Cain's children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, but it comes down to the end and it gets to this most interesting spot. Because what's happening here is, is, as Cain's children and his grandchildren that begin to go out throughout this world, it says Cain makes this city. Look at, well, look at what happens to his family. Uh, they begin to forge metals. They begin to make music. They begin to write poems. They begin to make instruments. They begin to live a life that God has called each of us to live, a life that is is lived and subduing and multiplying over the face of the earth. And they begin to do this. But where we come to at the end at verse 25, or sorry, uh, uh, 24 uh, through 25, where we come to at the end is that there's this guy, Lamech. And he's the great-great-grandson of Cain. And, And he from Cain's family, begins to, to live this life and, and, and to um, uh, continue on in the cycle of sin. As he calls his two wives to himself, and he sings them this song, he says, look, there was this guy Cain, he was my great-great-grandfather, and he was punished for killing his brother because there was this you know, issue over sacrifice, as we saw in the beginning of the text. He was punished for killing his brother, but, but me, Lamech, I've killed two guys just because. In other words, what, what we see that begins to happen is that the sin of Cain, as it's going down and down in his family, that here his great-great-grandson Lamech is boasting of sin, writing songs of the sinful acts that he's committed. And, and, and what God is showing us here in this text is that while 
this sin is personal to us, there's also the cycle of sin that we see around us. There's also this cycle of sin that we see. There's things that, in other words, we pass down to each other. There's things about who we are that we pass down to each other. Uh, Next weekend on on Saturday, my my wife's uncle, uh, his name is uh, Chris. He goes by Bobo, as we always called him. Uh, He passed away in a, a plane crash almost a month ago. Um, so we're doing a, a funeral for him in Knoxville next week on Saturday. But as I've been kind of, you know, I, I knew him for the past, you know, a little over a decade, um, knew him, and I've been kind of, you know, talking with the family and kind of thinking about who he was. It's things that are, you know, kind of coming to the surface um, that I did, just didn't make connections before. You know, so much of, of who he was in his life is a reflection of who his father was. His dad was a pilot, so Bobo started flying when he was 14 years old. His dad was a medical doctor. Bobo went to medical school. Uh, They even have similar personalities. They they, they look very much alike. And there's these connections that we have. But, you know, as all of us in the room, I think every single one included, uh, or most of us, you know, have kids. and, And you can see, well, there's things that we pass down to our kids, like flying planes and you know, what we do with our lives. There's things that we pass down in that way, but there's also things that we pass down that we don't like to see. That as, that as our kids grow up and we see, you know, that, that anger that you're experiencing, that jealousy that you're experiencing, that attitude that you have, that I can see that as a reflection of myself. That not only do we pass down to each other good traits, but we also pass down at times to each other bad traits. That this sin is generational, this sin is cyclical, this sin is something that happens in our lives and in the world. And what Genesis chapter 4 is pointing to is it's saying, look, we need salvation from that reality. We need someone to come in to step into this place of our brokenness because we can't fix ourselves. And, and, and for any of those who are parents in the room, we sure can't fix our kids I mean, it's hard enough just dealing with yourself, and you sure can't fix your kids. And then you have these generational patterns and habits and cycles and problems. And Genesis chapter 4 is leaving us in this place and saying, what is God going to do about this? What is God going to offer to us in this place of brokenness? In this place where we see the reality of sin in our own lives. We see the reality of sin in our children's lives. We see the reality of sin that's out in the world as we turn on our TVs. What is God going to do to remedy this? What is God going to do to redeem this? What is God going to do to change this cycle, this pattern of sin? And interestingly enough, as as the text ends in verses uh, 25 and 26, we come back to Adam and Eve. We come back to the first family. We come back to them in a very particular place. It's this place of brokenness. It's this place of loss. This place, again, that we find ourselves in because sin is in our world. Sin is in our lives. And they're here sitting in this. It says in verse 25 that Adam and Eve had another son because the first one, Abel, was killed. And it's reminding us that there is this need for another son to come because one is gone, because one has been murdered. But it's also pointing to a story that's going to be picked up over and over. We're even going to see it again in Genesis. That Abraham and Sarah are there waiting and they're saying, look, we're waiting for the son to be born. God told us that we would have it. We're waiting for the son to be born because Sarah's barren, because God's promised that they're going to be a nation. We're waiting for someone to come, for this holy seed to be born. But you also see that with Mary and Joseph. That they're waiting for this salvation to come. They're waiting for God's promise to come. 
and to their lives into the world. It's this story that God's going to play out in the scriptures over and over again. Then in the, in, in the exact place of our brokenness, in the exact place of our longing, God's going to answer with this holy seed. God's going to answer with this Messiah. God's going to insert himself into the story in the exact place that you and I might have never thought he'd come in. This place where we're feeling loss. This place where we're feeling brokenness. This place where we're feeling, you know, God. how can God ever work here? How could he work through a, a, a young girl who's not married through a carpenter? How could God work through this old couple who's out in the land of Babylon? And God says, no, come over to this other place and I'm going to make you a nation. And even though you guys are super old and you're not going to have a kid until you're almost 100 years old, I'm going to do this for you. And here again, God comes in. And he says, even though Adam and Eve have, are, are in this place of brokenness, because Abel is gone, God gives them a new son, and, they, and he gives them the son, and they name him Seth. And Seth has a son, and his name is Enosh. And when Enosh is born, it says at that time, people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, the word that's used here is also used in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. It's the capital L-O-R-D. It's the covenant name of God, the, the name in Exodus 3 that God will reveal himself to Moses by. The great I am, as we call him, the one who is, the God who exists, but not only the God who exists, but the God who invites us into relationship with himself. In other words, that we see the exact same thing that I've just been speaking of, that in this place of brokenness, God personally comes to meet him with his covenant, with his promise, with himself. He says, look, I'm here in your brokenness. I'm here in your place of loss. I'm here in your place of longing. I'm here where you least expect me. And so God comes to this family. He comes to Adam and Eve. He comes in, in our brokenness. But we see that through Jesus Christ perfectly and completely. That, that, that at the place that we did not expect God to move, that in the place when we did not expect God to come, that in the cross, Jesus Christ pays for the penalty of our sin, redeeming not only ourselves, but also our children, but also breaking this cycle, breaking this problem of sin as he calls us back into relation with self, as he reminds us of his goodness, as he reminds us of his love. A couple of uh, weeks ago, Beck and I watched this movie, um, which, uh, you know, I, Shrink Next Door is a great show, by the way, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give a blanket recommendation from the pulpit, but I will give a blanket recommendation for the movie 13 Lives. You've never seen it. Um, it's, it's a story, true, again, another true story, two true stories today. Uh, true story about uh, some kids, um, a soccer team might have heard the story, I think it happened back in 2016, 17. Uh, there were some uh, 12 soccer uh, kids on a soccer team in Thailand who got trapped in, in this cave with their coach. Okay, the monsoon hit. Uh, the, the monsoon season was about to come a week off, but they walk into this cave, national landmark in their, in their community in Thailand. They go into this cave, and, and the rain starts coming. And they're back two miles in this cave, and it just floods out. All the tunnels in the cave are flooded, um, and, 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 the, and the kids are trapped in there. So, so after a couple of days, you know, I mean, that day that everyone's freaking out. Uh, but after a couple of days, you know, 5,000 people from around the world come in. Uh, there, there are 17 different countries that respond and send aid. 
They send the Navy SEALs of Thailand to come in there, and then these expert cave divers come in who really you know, provide the solution of how to get the boys out. Super interesting story. You should, you should check it out. I won't ruin it for you, I promise. Uh, but what, what happens is nine days after these boys are trapped in there, they go back and they find them. And they find, oh, they're still alive. And, and you know, for those of you guys who remember seeing the news stream when it happened, I mean, it was you know, all over the news. They find that they're living. Well, after six, they give them provisions. After 16 days, they're able to go back in there and rescue them. I didn't ruin it for you because the, the rescue story is the story of the movie. Uh, you, you have to watch it to see that. So I, I promise I won't do that for you. Uh, but but when, they, when they rescue the boys, when they save them, when they bring them out, the governor of the town, he stands up and he says, you guys all, 5,000 people, 17 countries, said you guys all responded out of love for these boys. And you guys did what you did because you love these boys. Now, nobody knew the boys before that time when they were rescued. No one knew who they were. But, but what he latches on to is what Jesus offers for us in his sacrifice. He says, look, we are in this place of desperation. We are in this place of being distant from God. And God himself, through Jesus Christ, he comes in there in love. He comes out of his love to save us from our brokenness, to save us back to himself. Because he loved us, because he cared for us, because he gave his life in order that he might redeem us, that he might restore us in relationship with himself, that he gives us this promise, this hope. And that's what Genesis 4 is really pointing us today, is pointing us to this hope that God gives us through this promise. He says, look, the world is not, we're not currently living as we should be. There is murder, there is anger, there's violence, there's problems in our world, there's problems in our families, there's problems generationally. But God, by his promise, he says, look, you can come back into relationship with me. I'm giving you this promise, I'm giving you this hope, I'm giving, because of my love for you, I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to bring you back in to this place that we were made for. This place where we were made to live in God's blessing, to live in God's world to live by his grace. Let's close in prayer. God, we do ask that uh, as, as we reflect on the sorrow, the brokenness, the sin that we experience in our own lives, God, that we would be restored and renewed by your grace that you offer us through the work of Jesus Christ. May you be at work in us this day. Uh, may you help us to honor you, to love you. So you're going to pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.